Well, it's a blessing to have you out on a Friday night. Some of us, we don't want to remember where we've been on some Friday nights and days gone by. But think of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. To either pull you out of that world or keep you from ever being in it. To think that on a, on a weekend night, you couldn't wait to get to church. Isn't that incredible? I, I, you, you know the shape this world's in. I'm glad I'm not part of it. I hope you young people, I hope you never have an exciting testimony. Hope you have a boring testimony. I grew up in church. I stayed in church. Been saved as long as I can remember. And never did anything I'm ashamed of. Praise the Lord. That's a good testimony. But it's great to be here on Friday, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Glad my wife can be with me. She doesn't get to uh, travel with me a lot. Uh, she's on, out on probation right now. And they let her, <laughs> let, her, let her out of the state once in a while. I, when she does get to go with me, people walk up and say, Oh, is this your wife? Well... <laughs> It better be. I mean, what, what, what kind of question is that to ask? <laughs> no, this is just who I travel with. <laughs> but anyway, that is my wife, and I, and I'm I'm glad she's with us here tonight. And then we're in we're in the parking lot. We just checked in, and we wait. The pastor's coming to pick us up this afternoon. And and this these two people got out of a van, and your mind just kind of stops because you, you you know them, you don't know them, and and. We've got Brother Neil, Sister Zelda, Linebaugh. They were in our church for years and years, and they drove down from Michigan to be here tonight. It was such a, a blessing, a surprise to see them. Two bold, faithful witnesses for Jesus Christ. I preached together on the street with this couple in San Francisco, Washington, D.C., Orlando, Minnesota, just all over this country to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Man, if you're going to wait for people to come to church, you're never going to preach to big crowds. But there's big crowds to preach to if you want to go out there. And we stood one day in front of a Union Station in San Francisco where the cable cars turn around. And the people stand in line waiting to get on those cable cars and come there vacation. They're not, they're not going to get out of line and leave because somebody's preaching. They're going to wait for their turn. And man, you talk about people on one side as happy as they could be. That was us. And on the other side, annoyed as they could be. That was them. And, and boy, we had a, we've had a time, great times all over this country. And, and it's so good to see them. Really appreciate them being with us tonight. All right, let's go to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, since you're here, we may as well wear you out. I'm going to preach four sermons tonight. Well, some heads popped up. They couldn't even finish finding Luke 15. Four sermons tonight, and three of them are going to be Baptist sermons. Interesting truth, completely out of context. (laughs) And then the fourth sermon is going to be a scriptural sermon sermon, it'll be truth and in context. Now, the first three are going to be true, but, well, I'll, I'll explain as we go along. So, what do you mean, Baptist sermon? You know what I mean. You know what I mean. It won't be three points in a poem, though, because we're not going to do any poems tonight. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the Bible. We believe every word of it. We're not going to change it. We're not going to suggest it could be improved upon. We're just going to leave the Bible just like it is. Lord, we ask you to lead us and guide us into truth tonight. Truth will make a difference in our lives, in the life of this church, in the life of this community. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke 15, verse number 3. Here's what I'll show you tonight from Luke 15. We believe in the Trinity. I do. I don't know if you do. believe in the Trinity. The Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost, these three are one. That's in your King James Bible. It's not in the other Bibles, but it's in the King James Bible. First John 5, 7. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. I believe that. Amen. All my heart. Bible says salvation is of the Lord. 
So salvation is of the Father, and salvation is of the Son, and salvation is of the Holy Ghost. We can say Holy Ghost in a, in a Baptist church. It's a Bible it's a Bible term. Now, we, we make two words out of it. We don't say Holy Ghost. <laughs> we say Holy Ghost. That's the difference between uh, some groups. But anyway, uh, so I'm going to show you from Luke 15 how the Son works in saving a sinner. And then how the Spirit works in saving the sinner. And then how the Father works in saving the sinner. And then we'll, then we'll look at the passage again and see what it's really all about. How's that? We okay? All right. Luke 15, verse number 3. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, and that'd be a rich man if you're a farmer, a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Okay, let's talk about this shepherd. You know Jesus Christ called the good shepherd. He's called the great shepherd. He's called the sheep shepherd, chief shepherd. He's called the shepherd and bishop of our souls. So no problem identifying this shepherd as a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's sure no problem picturing this wandering lost sheep as a picture of the sinner. Now, we've had, from time to time through the years, we've had cattle, we've had horses, we've had goats, we've had chickens, we've had turkeys, and we had one sheep. And let me tell you something. When the Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray, it's not bragging on you. When the Bible compares us to sheep, it is not a compliment. You ever heard these stories where a dog will uh, jump out of the car on vacation and the family's from, from Toledo and they were down in Florida and the dog jumped out of the car and all the way home the kids cried, Fifi again. And six months later, Fifi flops down on the porch. It found its way all the way back to Ohio and Disney makes a movie about it and, and we all live happily ever after. Now listen, a cow can find a barn. The chicken can find the roost. A cat can make its way across the continent to get back home. A sheep... If you don't go get it, it ain't coming back. I'm telling you, they're dumb as they can be. We had this sheep, our house, our house sit here, and 300 feet down a shell driveway, that sheep would get down the driveway, he'd get out through the gate, stand out in the road, and he'd stand there looking at the house, hollering. Come get me, come get me. He could see the house, but he didn't have enough brains to walk back down the driveway and come home. That's a sheep. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When you were lost, you didn't find the Lord. You didn't go looking for Jesus and locate Him. I'm telling you, you are lost without hope. You are lost without any way of getting back home. And that good shepherd, he had plenty of sheep that were in the fold. He had plenty of sheep that he was leading through the wilderness. He had plenty of sheep that were in fellowship with each other and fellowship with him. But thank the Lord, that shepherd was not content with 99. Thank God that shepherd was not satisfied with 99. He wanted one more. And he left that 99, said, y'all have some fellowship right here. I got to go look for one. And he looked for that lost sheep until he found it. Isn't that what it said? He, he, it, says, it says, he left 99 in the wilderness, go after that which is lost until he find it. Hallelujah. Isn't that a blessing? Now, I'm going to tell you something. Everybody didn't get, doesn't get saved. But Jesus goes after everybody that needs saving. 
And everybody won't receive the Lord, but He's going to give every one of them an opportunity to come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And so that good shepherd, he went out and he found that sheep. And the Bible says, and when he found it, he gave it a good kick for wandering off. No, that's not what it says. And when he found it, he pushed it off a cliff and said, don't ever do that again. No, when he found it, he layeth it on his shoulders. Now, now picture in your mind, it's not hard to picture, what did he do? He, the greater, he, the one who never caused the problem, he saw that sheep, the lesser, and that sheep that had put him through so much trouble, and he reached down to where that sheep was and lifted it up. What a blessing. You know, when the Lord found you, he could have just gone ahead and kicked you into hell, but he didn't. When the Lord found you, he could have taken his shepherd's staff and beat your brains out for wandering so far out into sin and causing him all that trouble of the cross and Calvary and, and all the rest of that. But you know what he did? He looked down upon you. He stooped down to where you were and he lifted you up by his strong and mighty power. He didn't say to that sheep, all right, come on, jump up here. He didn't say to that sheep, come on, climb on up here. He reached down and picked up that sheep, hallelujah, and put it on his shoulder. He just wrapped that thing right about his shoulders. He got, he got one hand with those two front legs and one hand with those two back legs. He got that sheep wrapped right there around his shoulders. And the Bible says, and when he hath found it, he layeth on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home. Now look at this. When that shepherd found that sheep, he stooped down. He lifted it up. He put it on his shoulders, all oh, this a blessing, and he didn't put it down again until he got it all the way home. Amen. Praise God. Now, you know what? That's what Jesus did for you. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. You couldn't find your way to heaven. You couldn't find your way to Jesus. Well, I'll read, I'll read the Bible. Really? And you're going to get what out of that? Jehovah's Witnesses started reading the Bible. Look where they ended up. Cult members start reading the Bible. Look where they ended up. I'm telling you, if you're saved, it's because the good shepherd sought you and the good shepherd found you. And when he found you, he condescended, reached down, picked you up. And he's not going to put you down till he gets you all the way home. Amen. Praise God. Isn't that a blessing? Now, that's a picture of how God the Son works in saving a sinner. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? That's completely out of context. That's not at all what the Lord's talking about. It's good, and it's right, but it's not correct. How's that? All right, let's look at verse number 8. The Bible says here, either what woman... That's first sermon. See, they're, they're easy. Four sermons one night. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're short. Either what man... It's like, a, like they, they, they got these old things. I don't know if they still got them or not, but before I was married, I knew all about them. They called them TV dinners. And on a box, it'd say, four-course meal. Four-course meal for a hamster. <laughs> things, about, things about that big. But, but there, there's four in there. It's just, there's, there's the entree. That's what they call it, entree. It's meatloaf with a list of ingredients that long. The only reason the box is that big, it's not the food inside. It's that they had to print all the chemicals on the back. <laughs> now, I'm not worried about it. They're preservatives. So we're going to live 15 years longer than we would have. But, but anyway, so, so the, how did we get TV to... Oh, yeah, four sermons. All right, verse 8. Either what woman having 10 pieces of silver... Now, guys, that's the one you want to find right there. Woman with 10 pieces of silver. If she lose one piece, does not light a candle, and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. 
All right, I'm not the pastor, but I'm going to, I'm going to do a little, a little preaching here. Ladies, if you drop a coin on the floor and with a flashlight and a broom you can't find it, you need to quit watching Oprah and clean the house. <laughs> who, who, who drops a dime on the floor and can't, can't, can't see it for the dirt, man? Anyway, did you ever see that in that verse? That's, that's, that's some deep, that's deep theological truth right there. Deep as the dust on the, on the floor. Either what woman have ten pieces of silver, she lose one piece, did not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Now, let's look at this lost coin. And what a picture we have here of the Holy Spirit. When that coin fell, it didn't fall through any fault of its own. Through the carelessness and the neglect of that woman. Either she spilled it out of her purse or she bumped it off the countertop. But somehow or another, that coin, through the carelessness of that woman, began to fall. You know, something... It's, it, it's not my fault. We're not going to argue about whose fault it is. But in Adam, all die. You came into this world a sinner. You were born with a bent and an inclination towards sin. And that hasn't stopped even after your salvation because that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And you say, it's not my fault. It's Adam's fault. Nevertheless, you fell because of Adam's carelessness, because of Adam's transgression. And when that coin began to fall, it didn't stop halfway and level out. It didn't fall three quarters of the way and then find its bearings. It fell until it hit the bottom. Now, you know something, boys and girls? You may have never been drunk and thank God for it. You may have never messed around with dope and thank God for it. You may not be fornicators and thank God for it. But you are as guilty of sin as the murderer sitting on death row. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible doesn't say the wages of bad sin is death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So the fact that you're fallen, you're not halfway fallen, three-quarters of the way fallen, almost to the ground fallen. You have hit the bottom, just like that coin. And you know something? Once you hit the bottom, the coin didn't say, Hey, dirt, come cover me up. The coin didn't say, Hey, filth, come get on top of me and bury me. No, it's just what happens. It's just what happens. You walk through this world, you see things you never intended on seeing, you hear things you never set out to hear, you do things you hadn't planned on doing, and sin just takes a hold, and it begins to influence our life and our motivations and our thoughts and our actions, and before long, we're dirty and don't even know how dirty we are. We're covered up and buried in the ways of this world and the thoughts of this world and the, and the, and the uh, course of this world, Ephesians said, and it's not that we intended to do that it's just here we are and what's that coin going to do it is not going to get up out of that dirt it is not going to elevate itself it's not going to levitate and say to the woman here I am somebody's going to have to go find that coin just like somebody had to go find that sheep and what a picture we have here of the Holy Spirit you know what the scripture says of the church it says wives can I even quote that it's it's Wives, mm -mm -mm, to your own husband. Wives, 
Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And then it says, husbands, boss your wives, even as Christ bosses the church, right? Oh, no. It's husbands, love your wives. Even Christ loves. So we get all that passage about the wife and the husband. But then he gets into the passages, but I speak concerning Christ and the church, right? So the church is the wife, church, the bride of Christ, correct? Everybody okay with that? Church, the bride of Christ. The Bible says in Revelation, very last chapter of Revelation, the spirit and the bride say come. The Spirit and the Bride say come. Now, Proverbs says the Spirit of the Lord is like a candle searching the inward parts. So what happens? That coin has fallen. It can't get up. That coin is covered up with the dirt and dust and debris of this world. It can't cleanse itself. It can't rescue itself. So a candle doesn't float through the, through the room to find the coin. Do I see that? There's a woman who takes that candle in her hand and uses it as a searchlight. And the woman with the broom, she can sweep all day and all night, but without the illumination of the candle, she's just expending energy and not getting the job done. But in combination, the woman with the light in one hand and the broom in the other, she brushes away the dirt over here and shines the light, and she brushes away the dirt over here and shines the light, and she shines the light over here and brushes away the dirt, and finally, aha, there's the coin, and she lays hold upon it. Now, you know what that Bible says? That coin is a picture of the lost man, the lost woman out in that world. And you can wait all day and all night for the Holy Spirit of God to go out there and convict them and the Holy Spirit of God to go out there and draw them. But the Holy Spirit of God is not out there. He's in you. The Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in the world. He dwells in the bride. The Holy Spirit isn't in the wind and He isn't in the trees and He isn't in the sunshine. He's in the believer. So what does it take? It takes the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit and the broom-sweeping labor of the bride to find that sinner. The Holy Spirit does not work independent of the saved people who make up the church. He works in conjunction with the saved people who make up the church. And the shining light of the Holy Ghost and the labor of the bride of Christ result in, aha, the coin is found. Isn't that a beautiful picture? How the Holy Spirit works saving a sinner? Isn't that a blessing? Completely out of context. Not a, it's not at all what Jesus is talking about. But it's there. It's there. All right, let's have another sermon. Luke chapter 15, verse number 11. Luke 15, 11. Now, tomorrow night when I say we're just preaching one sermon, don't, don't make the mistake of thinking all the sermons are... This short. We might have real food instead of a TV dinner tomorrow night. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portions of goods uh, that falleth to me. Now, can I say, I've read the Bible through several times, start to finish. And there's a lot of mean words in the Bible. Hard words in the Bible. That one man says to another, one man says to a woman, or a woman to a man, the devil to the Lord, that sort of thing. There, there's, there's no crueler statement in the scripture than the one we just read. Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. You know when a son inherits from his father? When his father's dead. You know what that boy just said? I want what you can give me 
but I never want to speak to you again. I never want you speaking to me again. I don't want you interfering in my life, and I'm not going to have any part in your life. Give me what you have to give me, and I'm out of here. Now, you couldn't hurt a man any more than that. You couldn't hurt a father any worse than the way that boy just hurt his father. You know what this, listen, this world, you know what they want? They want God's sunshine. They want God's rain. They want God's clothes on their back. They want God's food on their table. They want God's good health poured into their body. They want God's love and God's grace and God's joy and God's cheer. They want everything God has to give them, but they don't want to talk to Him and they don't want Him talking to them. They don't want to visit His house and they don't want Him in their house. They say, God, give me and leave me alone. Now, you don't believe that? You watch, you watch some Muslims fly some airplanes into some buildings in this country and everybody say, God, give us peace. God, give us liberty. God, give us safety. God, give us freedom. And you know how many of them were in church that following Sunday? Not many. You know how many were in church the next Sunday? Fewer still. You know how many were even thinking about God a month after that? About none. You know what we want? We want God to bless America and leave us to our sins. We want God to bless our homes and our families and keep that Bible preaching out of it. That's, that's what the son said. Father, give me what? Give me everything you got to give me and leave me alone. And I'm going to leave you alone. And so verse, verse 12 says, And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Now, boys, let me tell you something. I hope you make a good living in your life and, and, Older folks, I, 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 if you're going to use it right, I hope you win the lottery. So you believe God answers everybody's prayers? How could he answer every prayer for God let me win the lottery? And everybody can't win. Wouldn't that be something? They, they announced the lottery winner. 8,900,000 all picked the same number. And they interview every one of them. And, well, I prayed and asked God to give me the right numbers. <laughs> You ever drive through a town and see a sign, Psychic? You'll have a sign for Psychic or Palm Reader. And it's always a beat-up trailer and a junk car parked in front of it. If you can tell the future, how come you're so poor? <laughs> you're not convincing me. Anyway, what I was going to say about that. He took his journey to far country and there wasted his subsidized living. Now, this, this man, we'll read later. He's got livestock, he's got property, he's got rings, he's got clothing, he's got shoes, he's got servants, he's got property. He gave that boy a pile of money. And I'm telling you, it won't matter how much money you make in this world, if you start spending it on sin, you'll never have enough money to satisfy the lust of your flesh. I don't know how much money that boy left with, but it wasn't enough. And I don't know how much money you'll have when you turn your back on God and head out in that world, but it won't be enough to buy you the happiness you're looking for. That's it. He spent it all. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. That's not a good job. Pigs are smelly. Pig pens are real smelly. Feeding pigs, oh, that's bad business. Especially for if he's, we assume he's a Jew. He's not even supposed to be around them. There he is. And verse 16, and he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. Anybody here ever had pig? You ever had pigs? 
Anybody know? There's a few. Who's ever, who's ever seen a group of pigs at feeding time? Now, let me, let me tell you something. If you're going to eat what the pigs don't eat, you're going hungry. He is longing for the leftovers in the pig pen. After they've put their filthy snouts and their slobbering mouth and, and snorted and, and sneezed and sniveled and, and, and gobbled up the food, he's going to go back and look in the trough and see if they missed a grain or two of food and he's going to scrape it out of the trough and eat it. That's, that's, how, that's how far down he got. That's how low down this world took him. Isn't that a sad thing? You know, you know what he did? The Bible says he is envying pigs. You said I'd never get so low down as to envy a pig. Really? Really? You know how many, you know how, people, how many young people in this country think the, the, the world of Lady Gaga and despise their parents? You know what they're doing? They're envying a pig. Who in the world would want to be that when you could be a godly Christian? Think about it. Amen. These, these, listen, boys, you want to you want to idolize these ball players and idolize these movie stars and idolize these rock and roll singers? Why, if they did in your living room what they do in their in their living rooms, you'd call the cops. Don't live your life envying pigs. Don't be jealous of pigs. Follow follow godly men and godly women and and, and live after their example. But there he is, there he is, jealous of a hog. That's America. Well, you come out with something and call it fashion. And women with three closets full of clothes go out and buy it. And ten years later, they'll see it on TV in a rerun and say, Oh, look at that again. Look at how ugly those clothes are. You bought them. Somewhere in a Goodwill store right now is a whole shelf full of pointy-toed women's shoes with a toe about that long. How many remember those things? Well, I'd kill a roach in any corner in America. They last a little while and they're gone. For a while there, the big thing was they, they'd wear a skirt and they'd wear these long britches that, with the lace on the bottom and the, and the boots and the sweat socks. How many remember that? Nobody wants to admit remembering that. And you men, so, somewhere, somewhere in a barn, <laughs> lying in a pen somewhere is what's left of your pale blue leisure suit. <laughs> With the big white belt, the white shoes. <laughs> yeah, we're going to look just like that Southern Gospel Quartet. <laughs> yeah, pull out those old album covers. They look pretty funny now, don't they? Well, it's amazing what this world can get you to do. All they got to do is call it fashion and, and put it on, dress a movie star that way, and everybody's running out to buy it. I don't envy that crowd at all. They can, have, they can have this whole world. I'm not interested in it. Anyway, no man, no man gave unto him. Boys, you go out in the world, you run out of money. When you quit buying the drinks and you quit buying the dope and you put, quit putting the gas in the car, that crowd's gone. That's right. They're your friends as long as you've got money. You run out of money, they're done with you. They just, just throw you away. And so the Bible says in verse number 17, and when he came to himself, he snapped out of it. He said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father." And will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Let me show you something interesting in the Bible. Look at verse 12. Look at, it, look at his attitude when he left. Father, give me. Look at his attitude on the way home. 
Verse 19, Father, make me. He went from give me to make me. You know what that is? That's repentance. You can argue about repentance all you want. That boy changed his heart. That boy changed his mind. That boy changed his direction. He went from Father, give me, I'm leaving, to Father, make me when I get home. And so the Bible says, he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Oh, hallelujah. Let me show you what the Bible says about how God the Father works in saving a sinner. You ready? He looks with longing down that road, ready, ready, with a compassionate embrace, ready with a loving heart to receive the repentant sinner home. Isn't that a blessing? Everybody see that? Hope you see that. Now, let me tell you what's happening somewhere near here. And I don't know, your pastor didn't tell me. I haven't driven through town. But somewhere near here, there, there's a place and it's called, it's called the bridge or the hillside or the rock or the journey, or the fountain, or the... It's not a church. They don't call it a church. And what they did is they said, you know what? Those people out there in those pig pens, they like rock and roll music. Let's have rock and roll music. Those people out there in those pig pens, they don't like Bible preaching. Let's get rid, of, get rid of Bible preaching. Those people out there in those pig pens, they don't like to hear about the Lord. So let's talk about the man. And you know what they did? They, 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 in their minds, here's what they think. They think they took, they took God and they moved God out into the pig pen. And then they looked around and said, look at all these people we got. Wow, the Lord's really blessing. Look, you see what that Bible says? God the Father will receive the sinner when he leaves the pig pen and comes home. He is not going to move in the pig pen with you because he misses you. Shocking. No, true. God loved you enough to send his son to die for you. But he is not going to air condition hell if you decide to go there. And he's not going to make the narrow road into a broad road because you think the road's too narrow. This father loved his son. This father's looking and watching. And before his son gets home, the father saw him a great way off. But the father did not go where that son was and adopt that son's lifestyle and that son's attitude and join that son in the filth of the world just because he missed his boy. That's what this modern church is doing. They're, they're presenting a God that will move in the pig pen with you if you don't like the holiness of the father's house. That's not true. When that boy got home, the father received him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That's how it goes. Now watch this. The Bible says, the son, the son said unto him. Now there's four things the son said he was going to say when he got home. Here's the first one. Father, I have sinned against heaven. And he had. And in thy sight, and he had, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Now, what's the fourth thing he's going to say? Make me as one of thy hired servants. But before he can say that, the father cuts him off. And the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. 
Hey, listen. If you're lost and you come, Jesus said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. He didn't say the Father cometh to no man but by me. You come to Jesus, Jesus bring you the Father. Jesus isn't bringing the Father to you. you <laughs> he's going to bring you to the Father. See that? But, but listen, if you come to him, he does, he's not going to make you a servant. He's going to make you a son. And this boy said, when I get back, I'm going to say, make me a servant. And before he could get the words out of the mouth, the father cut him off and said, my son, my son. Isn't that a blessing? Some people are scared to get saved, afraid of what God will make them do. He won't make you do anything. You'll sure want to do something. You won't do it because you have to. You do it because you want to. Praise the Lord. And so the Bible says, bring forth the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring him the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and, and is found. And they began to be merry. Now, now think with me. One, one last point and we'll be through with our third sermon. Everybody okay? We're going to make it? This is a blessing. Didn't the father give him everything he had coming before he left home? Come on, we read that. Give me the portion that belongs to me. And the father said, here it is. And he went out and wasted everything he had coming. Correct? Now, what's he done since he left that was pleasing to his father? Nothing. Correct? What has he earned by working for his father since he left? Nothing. And when he gets back, then what's that robe? It's pure grace. What's that ring? It's pure grace. What's that fatted calf? It's pure grace. What are those shoes on his feet? It's pure grace. He didn't deserve any of that. He hadn't earned any of that. And the moment he came back and was received by the Father, the Father said, let me give you a bunch of stuff you don't deserve. Let me give you a bunch of stuff you didn't earn just to show you how glad I am to have you home. Man, when you came to the Lord and, and asked Him to save you, you didn't know He was going to redeem you and justify you and purify you and sanctify you and adopt you into His family and give you a home in heaven and, and a glorified body and all these things that you had not earned and did not deserve. He gave them to you the moment you got saved. Isn't that a great picture how the Father works in saving a sinner? Completely out of context. That is not what Jesus is talking about. But we see how the Son saves a sinner, how the Spirit saves a sinner, how the Father saves a sinner. And you really can't separate them and say, put this one over here and this one over here and this one over here because these three are one. And all works together. Jesus Christ seeks and he, and he lifts and He carries and the Holy Spirit illuminates and the church labors and the Father welcomes and receives and blesses. It all happens when somebody gets saved. But now... Let's find out what Jesus is really talking about. Come to, come to Luke 15. Luke 15, verse 1. Luke 15, 1. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Wouldn't that be a great day? You put a sign out front, says Bible conference Friday night, and all the sinners in town. Come to hear the words of Jesus. That's what happened. Isn't that amazing? Verse 2. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. 
And he spake this parable unto them, saying. You know what Luke 15 is about? It's not about people getting saved. It's about people who didn't care about people getting saved. It's not about people coming to Jesus. It's about the people who found no joy in people coming to Jesus. How about that? Now, in context, look at verse number 4. A man lost a sheep. Verse 5, a man found a sheep. Verse 6, when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me. Now, you know what? Because those people were his friends, they were happy about what he was happy about. Because those people loved that man, they rejoiced when that man rejoiced. Everybody see that? Next verse. I say unto you that likewise, like the friends of that shepherd, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Your Lord said, when I get to save a sinner, all my friends up here rejoice. I rejoice and they rejoice because, well, why wouldn't they? I'm happy, so they're happy. I'm glad, so they're glad. And he turns and looks at those Pharisees and scribes and says, so what's your problem? All these sinners are coming to me and I'm thrilled. And what are you sitting there with that sour look on your face for? How about that? Now, we enjoy Christian fellowship. We enjoy church. We enjoy uh, the, the meal times in the in, in downstairs. We enjoy getting together with God's people. We enjoy Sunday school and Bible study. You know what the Lord said? I'd rather... Now, I'm just telling you what Jesus said. I derive more pleasure from one sinner repenting than from 99 of you coming in here to church. That's what he said. Now, now let, let me ask you something. Do you share the Lord's point of view? Because that's what he's talking about. My friends see things the way I see them. And my, things my friends take pleasure in the things I take pleasure in. And my greatest pleasure is not 99 sheep chewing their cud. My greatest pleasure is one lost sheep being found and added to the fold. How about that? You want to see it again? Look at verse number 8. A woman lost a piece of silver. Verse 9, when she found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece which I had lost. Likewise, see, like that woman rejoiced with her friends, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. God's rejoicing. Those in his presence are rejoicing. His friends are rejoicing. And he turns to that religious crowd and said, so what's your problem? How come you're not happy? See that? Now, I want my heart to line up with the Lord's heart. I want my desire and my enthusiasm to line up with the Lord's desire and enthusiasm. And it's great to study the Bible, and I'm glad you do. And it's great to come to church, and I'm glad you do. And it's great to be part of a ministry like this one, and I'm glad you are. 
But the nine coins in the pocket didn't mean as much to that woman as the one that was recovered. And the Lord wants us to not be so content with being one of the nine coins in the pocketbook that we lose his desire for the one coin that's out there in the dirt. Let's see it again. Luke 15, verse number 25. Now, his elder son was in the field. That's where he's supposed to be. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. So this was a Methodist father, not a Baptist father. (laughs) And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Well, not likely a funeral. (laughs) Somebody's happy about something. And he said to him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry. Wait a minute. The father's happy. The household's happy. His brother's happy. And in the midst of all that happiness, he's angry. And would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. Now let me tell you something about God the Father. He won't go after a sinner but he'll sure go after somebody in his household. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. If, if, you're, if you're bastards and not sons, he's going to leave you alone. But if you're a son, he's going he's to come visit you. So here's a little visitation. And he said, he, he answered, said uh, uh, to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Well, that's good. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. Don't believe you. Hey, you know what happens? You get a sour spirit. You know what happens? You get bitter. You will start exaggerating your worth to the body of Christ. What do you mean you never? Well, my family would never do that. Well, our children, my children would never do that. Well, I would never say a thing like that. Yeah, you've done it a bunch of times. Just people around you are gracious enough not pointed out. Come on. Every now and then, about once every five years, we get a family come to our church whose children have never sinned. And they're never going to. (laughs) And they just, they can't make a friend in the world because everybody else in the world's a sinner. (laughs) And so it's, it's, so that's this guy. Uh, Never, never, anytime, transgress thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. I don't believe that. You telling me God the Father never gave you a blessing? Well, you know, minister, this church never did anything for me. You know who says that? The people who've had the church pay their bills, bring them groceries, visit them in a hospital, pray for them, help them find jobs. And when, listen, when they've milked that cow till the cow's turned inside out, then they head on down the road looking for another cow to milk. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. Thou never gavest me a kid. Now, just look, I hope nobody here tonight's bitter. I hope nobody here tonight got a, got a sour spirit. I hope nobody here tonight is leaning, just about to fall right out of church. But let me tell you something. When you start using words like never and always, you got a heart problem. Because nothing's never except God. And nothing's always except God. Well, you know, every time I go down that church, somebody offends me. Not every time. Sometimes they just ignore you. (laughs) 
Isn't that true? You watch these kids, boy. You get somebody about 17 years old, and they start, that boy starts getting bitter against dad, or that girl starts getting bitter against mom, they'll tell their friends, she's always yelling at me. Really? She never sleeps? <laughs> Come on. She's not always yelling at you. But you, when, when you get sour in your heart, those kind of words start coming out. Now, here's, here's music. He doesn't want anything to do with it. Here's dancing. He's not interested. Here's rejoicing and joy. He wants nothing to do with it. Why? Because in the middle of all that, he's got a bad attitude. Come on now. And so the Bible says, but as soon as this, thy son was come. Don't you mean your brother? The servant said, your brother's come home. The father said, my son's come home. The, the brother said, this, thy son. You know how it goes at our church? I go from being pastor or brother James to Knox to that guy. <laughs> when they're happy at church, I'm the pastor. When they're about to leave the church, I'm Knox. When they've been gone a year or two, I'm that guy. They can't even bring themselves to say my name. That's this fellow. You know what his problem is? He's full of bitterness, resentment, unhappiness. And so the scripture says, now watch this. As soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. Okay, I'm going to tell you one more thing about bitter people. Not only they exaggerate their own worth, they exaggerate the sins of everybody else. Now, brother, you might have done this. If you haven't, you're probably the only preacher that hasn't. I, I have. I have falsely accused the prodigal son on the basis of a false accusation made by his brother. How, how many preachers have preached about the son going away and wasting his substance on riotous living and, 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 and spending his money on harlots. Okay, now, now think, think about it. He said, well, yeah, it says it right there. No, wait. The son said, this elder brother said, I never left home. Isn't that what he said? I never left home. And the Bible said the younger brother went into a far country, correct? Well, if he went to a far country and you never left home, you don't know what he did there. He has no idea what he did there. He's just making stuff up like bitter Christians do on faceplant. <laughs> well, that church down there, you know, that people in there. And just put it out there for all the world to see. Not a word of it true and you know it's not true. You're just bitter. How are we doing? Those first three better than the last one, weren't they? And he said, and he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. Now here's the sad part. If you get bitter and you get sour and you miss the Lord's heart and you don't line up your life with his interest, everything he has is still yours. You just no longer enjoy it. You're as saved as you ever were. You're as much a part of the body of Christ as you ever were. You're entitled to the same joy everybody else has, the same rejoicing everybody else has. You just opt out of it. It's all still... It, they said, son, 
Everything I've got is yours. I don't care. Son, son, have I ever done you wrong? I don't want to talk about it. That's why when people leave a church, they make something up. Because they'd be embarrassed to tell why they really left. Son, everything I've got. Now, here's what he said. It was meat that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So here's what we have. Three times the Lord says, I find great joy in rescuing sinners. And so do my friends. So the question tonight is, are you a friend of Jesus? Or do you just like study about him? Are you a friend of Jesus? Or do you just like to come to a church that teaches the truth about him? Because his friends are excited about what he's excited about. And his friends are happy about what he's happy about. And you know what he's excited about? The one that is found. The one that comes home. The one that is restored. Now, listen, don't get me wrong. I, I, I long to come to a church like this where people know the Bible. It's a blessing to say, turn to Haggai, and people aren't looking around the room saying, are you Haggai? Are you Haggai? I'd like to turn to Haggai, but I'm not sure who he is. It's a blessing that you, if the pastor announces a special meeting, you're not only here, you want to be here. What a blessing. But if all of our activity is in the sheepfold and none of it is in pursuit of that lost sheep, if all of our activity is in the house and none of it is a search for that lost coin, if all of our labor is in the field but we have no heart and no eye for the prodigal that's gone in a far country, We are missing the Lord's heart. Pharisees were conservative, fundamental, and correct in their doctrine. They tithed and then some. They just didn't enjoy what the Lord enjoyed. They didn't have his heart. This church needs, this community needs a good church, and they have one. But do they know it? This church, has a, this, this church in this community is a place where people can come to know the Lord. But don't tell them. That's not his heart. Amen. Now, I'm going I'm to make one more point, then I'm going to give an illustration, and then the pastor will come, we'll be finished, okay? Don't pack. Paul said in Philippians, finally my brethren, and he was half done. <laughs> but, It's really tough to be a King James Bible-believing, independent, fundamental Baptist and happy. (laughs) Because we're not supposed to be. Our sign out front is supposed to be be a half mile long and list all the things we're against. And we're just supposed to be mad at compromisers and and mad at Bible correctors and mad at... and, and, And listen, and all that's in the Bible. But think about this. There's 7 billion people in the world right now. Plus. 7 billion plus. 
Christian radio, tracts, Bibles, missionaries, street preachers, door knockers, rescue missions, jail ministries, nursing home ministries. You know what that means? Right now, somebody's getting saved. Somewhere, somebody's getting saved right now. Now wait, oh wait. Right now, somebody else is getting saved. Right now. Right now, somebody else is get come on, seven billion people in the world, somebody's getting saved constantly. I believe that. You know what the Bible says? When a sinner repents, there's rejoicing in heaven. You know what that means? It, God is not sitting up there snarling and growling and just waiting for the clock to run out so he can send a great tribulation. You know what he's doing? He is in the midst of one grand happy celebration constantly because that's what the Bible says happens when sinners get saved. That God is too little known in our circles. The happy, rejoicing, holy, righteous God. That's who He is. One night I was preaching a little church in uh, South Carolina. And a lady, this this is a truth. This lady got off from work, raced to the church without supper, got the church van and drove all over the neighborhood asking little boys and girls to come to church to hear the preacher preach in a revival meeting. And she pulled up about, about five minutes before the church service and these, these boys and girls started pouring out of that van that looked like they'd never been in church before. And the only place that was open was what's usually open in a church, the front row. And they all sat along the front row and they acted like they'd never been in church before. I preached the Word of God and those kids started listening and I preached a little more and those kids started, started zeroing in and got to the end of that message and a little girl, 13 years old, that that woman had brought on that van came forward and got on her knees and the pastor's wife came and led her to Jesus and she got saved. Amen. Praise the Lord. That woman gathered them all up. She's so happy and she drove all those children home and dropped them off one by one. By the time she got back with that van, there's only four people left at the church. That lady and me and the pastor and the pastor's wife. And I watched. I'm sorry. And and the woman who had signed up to clean the building that night. And I watched and that pastor's wife began to put her arms around the woman that had brought all those children to church. And that woman was sobbing and crying. And I watched the pastor go over and get in the middle of that thing. And I watched the other woman with a vacuum cleaner just looking at him. And I went over and said to the pastor, Pastor, what's, what's going on? He said, that woman that had to clean the building, she was waiting for, she wouldn't vacuum until that woman got back with a van. For, and, she, and that woman walked in, she said, I want you to look at this here. Watch. She said, look at the mess those kids made. All the potato chips and stuff you gave them. I got to clean all this up now. That woman sat through the same sermon we all sat through. She saw that girl bow her knees and trust Jesus Christ as her Savior. And you know what? She didn't care. Because those kids made her have to vacuum up potato chips. You say, are you kidding me? 
No, I'm not kidding. You know how many times you've got to push a vacuum? It's an electric vacuum. It's got a motor in it. It's got a little tornado inside it. You're going to have to push it across the same amount of carpet whether there's potato chips there or not. But she's so bitter and so sour, she didn't care that that girl got saved. She didn't care that a room full of people were happy. All she could see was her little inconvenience. I don't want to be that person. I want to be happy about what the Lord's happy about. I want to be excited about what Jesus is excited about. You know something? This building is beautiful. Appreciate the work you've done on it. And I hope you keep it clean, keep it shiny, keep it neat, keep it looking good. But if this is a spotless auditorium and nobody ever gets saved here, it's not what the Lord wants. That fellowship hall, no Sunday school rooms, what a blessing. And if you never have a kid here, it makes a mess in any of them. And you never have a kid here get saved, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And so, so let's, let's stay sound in our doctrine. Let's stay true to our Bible. Let's study the Word of God. Let's come to church every time the doors are open. But let's not be content being in the ninety-nine. Because Jesus wants the one that's still out there. And let's not count the coins in our pocket and say, Nine, that's enough. It wasn't enough to Jesus. It wasn't enough to the Holy Spirit. He said, let's go get one more. And that father had a faithful son who never left home. And he never quit looking for the one that was away. May God help us to be interested in what he's interested in. Lost souls. Amen. Father, Father, help us tonight. We enjoy being sheep in the fold. We enjoy being coins in the pocketbook. We enjoy being an elder son safe in the house. But Father, your joy is in seeing the lost restored. Help us, Father, to be friends of yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor.